freedom. We sing a song like that, and there's that line in there, Long lay the world in sin and error pining. It's one of those things we have a hard time admitting most of the time, but at Christmas we sing it. And it's because of our sin and our error pining that we became the recipients of the greatest gift this world has ever known. And that is the gift of God's Son. Come to this earth in human flesh to come live a sinless life, to die on our behalf, to be raised from the grave, and then to go sit at the right hand of God, and now to live inside of us through the indwelling power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, we celebrate that at this time of year, but before we get to Christmas, the church historically has done this thing called Advent. Now, Advent is a season where we actually kind of try to turn back the clock, and we try to put ourselves back in the shoes of the, uh, the Christians who are awaiting the presence of God. Uh, and so that longing to see God break in, that longing that's created by realizing that the world that we know and experience on a daily basis is not the way that God intended it to be. You know, and so we wait. We wait, and then when we get to Christmas, we celebrate because we realize that God has done great things yet again. So we're in a series called Freedom. It's really, we're working our way through the book of Galatians, and today we're going to just keep talking about freedom. And so I know that when you think of freedom, you think of the Amish. I do. Uh, the Amish, you know, are, are Christians, uh, you know, in, in, in the broad sense of the term. They're uh, kind of come off the Anabaptist stream. They've been known to have a, oh, a slightly conservative edge to them, I guess we'll say. And, um, you know, if some of you may not be familiar with the Amish. I know we've got some teenagers in here and stuff, so... Uh, I thought maybe in order to explain them to you briefly, uh, I would start with uh, Coolio, which is probably who came to mind first. It's 1995. I was probably a sophomore in high school, or high school, I wish, uh, college at this point. So this song comes out called Gangsta's Paradise. Now, this was a jam. Raise your hand if you're willing to admit you love this song back when it came out. Thank you very much. And for those of you going, I would never listen to a song like that, I would point out Billboard picked this as one of the 100 greatest songs of all time. So deal with that. Now, so this song was awesome. Now, another Christian by the name of Al Yankovic decided to, to come up with a little jam of his own. And there he is on the right. Um, that's Weird Al Yankovic. And if you don't know who Weird Al Yankovic is, raise your children better, people, so that they will know the greatness of Weird Al. Okay, so he writes Amish Paradise, which is a rap done to the same... Uh, beats and everything, same dubs that, that, that Coolio's song came out with. And so if you're not familiar with the, <laughs> with the Amish, I'm going to read you the first verse in the chorus of Amish Paradise by our brother in Christ, Weird Al Yankovic. As I walk through the valley where I harvest my grain, I take a look at my wife and realize she's very plain. But that's just perfect for an Amish like me. You know I shun fancy things like electricity. At 4.30 in the morning, I'm milking cows. Jebediah feeds the chicken and Jacob plows, fool. I've been milking and plowing so long that even Ezekiel thinks that my mind is gone. I'm a man of the land. I'm into discipline. I got a Bible in my hand and a beard on my chin. But if I finish all my chores and you finish thine, we're going to party like it's 1699. <laughs> 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 We've been spending most of our lives living in an Amish paradise. I've churned butter once or twice, living in an Amish paradise. It's hard work and sacrifice, <laughs> living in an Amish paradise. We sell quilts at discount price, 
living in an Amish paradise. So there you go. These are simple people. Now, if you don't know, Weird Al is not actually Amish. Um, uh, he's a, I, I hate to say he's normal. <laughs> he's not normal. Uh, but he's normal as Hollywood goes. He's Hollywood normal. Um, so then you have the real Amish. Here we are. We got our slide up. I'm going to walk you through this. Upper left, normal Amish dude. Bottom left, normal Amish women. Upper right, you have uh, two random Amish women. The bottom right, you have a young lady in what's called Rumspringa. Anybody know what that means? All right. Okay, I see some nodding heads. You guys are a lot more fluent in, in all things Amish than I thought you were. So uh, it's a season during adolescence where the Amish allow their children to go, basically live outside the village and experience things that are different because, you know, in Amish country, usually they're all different. The little villages, are, there's some bandwidth of variation in how they do things. But um, they, they give them the freedom to go use electricity. Uh, they give them the freedom to, uh, in some cases, they, they, they drink alcohol. Like you can see the bottom uh, right picture there. Sometimes they, uh, you know, they're getting used to buying butter in the store. They're getting used to doing things that you would never get to do. Uh, and then the idea is that after that season is over, that that child, now this is again, there's a variation here. Not every Amish kind of enclave does it this way, but some do. Uh, they make a choice. At that point, your choice is this. You either go ahead and you, you, you hive off from the community and you go live your life out in the world, or you come back to the village and you become Amish indefinitely. It's a lifelong commitment, and you submit yourself to baptism into the church and, and uh, uh, in marriage in the church. But the idea is it's kind of, this is your, your fork in the road. This is where you decide what you're going to do. Am I going to be Amish or not? Now, let me ask you, what percentage of these young people do you think stay Amish? Pretty close. Depending on the village, 80 to 90 percent. You mean to tell me that somebody would go out in the world, spend a couple of years. I mean, this isn't like you go out for a weekend. This is, you spend 16 to 18, or you spend 17 to 19, or you spend, you know, something like that, like a two-year period being free to do some of these things. And they go back and they decide, I actually want to do that. Now, part of it is that they feel more free. They feel more free being Amish. See, here's the thing. We think that freedom is about being able to do whatever you want. And I suppose there's some element of that in there, right? We get to today's text. It is for freedom that God, Christ has set us free. And we think we're a lot more free than, say, the Amish are. Because, after all, they can't this, they don't that. We all know that real freedom is what we're experiencing right now. The freedom to shop. Raise your hand if you've already assaulted somebody here at the holidays. Don't raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> okay. If you've already cussed out your relative, if you've already assaulted somebody physically, if you're already... Uh, gotten that prescription for the antidepressants and anxiety medication refilled, you know what I'm talking about. We are so full of anxiety that our favorite Bible verse this year, according to the Version Bible app, is don't be anxious about anything. That's, our, that's the top verse of the year. The most underlined, the most starred, the most read and cited and shared verse of the year. We're so fragmented that if we put you could sell anything by just putting the word simply on the front of it. Simply cyanide. 
You could probably sell it. <laughs> and add fresh in there. And I mean, you can sell anything. Simply fresh cyanide would still would sell twice as much, I'm sure. And what does that tell you? It tells you we don't do a lot of simply. Yeah, we do a lot of artificial. And so if you just wrap it up in a certain package, you call it freedom, that makes it freedom. See, the Amish think they're free. Really, what, what worries do you have? car never runs out of gas. You're not using a car. How are you going to pay your bills? Well, you live on the land. You live in the village. You just go about your life. See, Galatians kind of takes life and flips it around and helps us to understand that, yes, God intended because originally in the Garden of Eden, we were created for freedom. The Garden of Eden was created. We're out there. We're naked. We're unashamed. Everybody's just kind of living on the land. Everybody's doing all that stuff. And then the fall happens. And so ever since then, we've been trying to somehow get back there. In all of our attempts to be free again, we make the mistake then of saying, okay, I'm going to I'm going to grasp at this, I'm going to tug at that, I'm going to try to hoard this, I'm going to possess this. And we fail every time. Galatians comes to us and says, there's one gospel. That is that Jesus came to set us free. And only Christ can set us free. And so it's in Jesus that we're set free from the sin that so easily entangles us, that makes us dependent on nothing except Christ. That gives us not just a secure eternity, but it gives us an abundant life in the here and now. And that to then, the book of Galatians is written to help us understand that to then to add to it is to take away from it. It's to take something that was very simply and very fresh, make it artificial, make it not simple, to corrupt it, to add to it. So I want us to open our Bibles to Galatians 5, and in verse 1 uh, is one that would be great to memorize. Uh, if you read it in almost any translation except the New Living, which is where we're going to be in, in today, but most translations other than New Living say, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery, or some version of that, okay? New, New Living gets the gist, but I love that it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's like God just loves freedom. It's for freedom's sake that he set you free. All right, verse 1, we're going to read 1 to 6 to start, and then keep your Bibles open. We're going to work our way through 15 today. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you've been cut off. Now, yes, that's an intentional wordplay. Circumcision, you've been cut off. All right. You get what I'm saying there, right? Um, that's a very intentional wordplay, and he ain't done for the morning. Um, uh, you must obey every regulation in the law of Moses. If you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, verse 4, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly await uh, eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. Okay, so he says, 
Listen, now, now I know that if this is your first time to church, you're sitting here going, what is the dude talking about, okay? Circumcision was the sign that God gave to Abraham and his ancestors of the covenant that he made with Abraham's people. And so circumcision, what happened was in the New Testament era, once Jesus uh, goes on, it was, it, uh, the covenant with God was symbolized now by faith in Christ, not, not through circumcision. It was always by faith. But now, instead of circumcision, it was Christ. Well, you have these people, the Jews and the Christians, come together, and they're saying, hey, great, we're glad you believe in Jesus, us too. Now all you have to do is be circumcised, and you'll be a real Christian. And Paul is trying to say to them, no, 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 it's not Jesus and circumcision. It's Jesus only. And so when you add to it, then basically what you're doing is you're starting to add the law back into the gospel. You're adding to it, and thus you're perverting it. Now, Paul's point here is, look, if, so if you're going to go in and submit yourself to that, then that means you're not operating by faith anymore, which now means you're, not, you're bound to uphold the entire law. So you don't get to pick. It's faith or it's law. Take your pick, faith or law, faith or law. But once you start saying, no, it's, it's Jesus and, now you're bound to obey the entire thing. Now, for some, I know that that's kind of inspiring and exciting law. Because we think everybody's going to be kept in order. If we just legislate it, regulate it, pass more laws. I mean, look, I can go back. When I teach uh, uh, people the Old Testament, you can go back and, and see how the, the laws that people live by used to be, you know, that big. I mean, the Ten Commandments is a treatise compared to the way law used to read. Look at the IRS tax code. It used to be on the front of one piece of paper. Now it's a library. I mean, think about the DMV vehicle code. Has that book gotten smaller over the years or larger? Because no matter what happens, what we realize is that you make a law, people break the law, so what does that require then to get them to get in line? You've got to pass another law. Well, then they break that one, and you've got to keep passing laws. Law, 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 law. And it fails every single time. Which is why the Bible says Jesus came into the world. Law couldn't satisfy the justice of God. We could not obey. If, in fact, we were that great at obeying and the law had that much power, then all God had to say was, thou shalt not kill. And that would have been it. You shall not commit adultery. Okay, cool. You shall not steal. Done. But that's not how law works. As you said earlier in Galatians, it's like the, the pedagogos, the child teacher. It's the mentor. It's the Mr. Miyagi, if you will, to get us from infancy through adolescence to adulthood so that now we can live, as he's going to talk about radically next week, life in the Spirit. And so if you are walking in the Holy Spirit of God, then there is no law. But if you decide you're going to do law, then you're going to do law. There's no alloy of law and gospel. The gospel is something that is so pure and so powerful. And that's why, again, Paul, keep in mind, he was a Pharisee. He points that out. Look, I'm Captain Law, okay? I know the law. But the law is thoroughly unable to change the hearts of humans. And he points to Peter as an example of what happens when you mix law and gospel. He says, Peter was here one day, and he was with all the Gentiles, and we were all eating together, and we were all celebrating that we were brought together in Christ. And then the people with law showed up, and then Peter got to be a chicken, and he wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He went and ate at the cool kids' table. Because that's what happens. 
when law enters the picture. Christianity declares that only Jesus can set us free. Only Jesus can set us free. Nothing else can set us free. And all of our fantasies about um, being that freedom is really being able to do whatever I want. Well, God says you can certainly do whatever you want. So I gave his free will. Do whatever you want. But that's not freedom. In his fantasy uh, book, The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis describes a busload of people from hell who come to the outskirts of heaven. And they're urged to, before, so they can go in, leave behind the sins that have trapped them in hell. And they refuse. People on the bus from hell, in Lewis's parable, would rather have their freedom, as they define it, than salvation. And their delusion is that if they glorified God, they would somehow lose their power and their freedom. But in that tragic irony of Lewis's tale, their choice has ruined their own potential for greatness. Hell is, as Lewis says in The Great Divorce, the greatest monument to human freedom. See, God is not somebody who tries to limit our freedom. He's the one who's given us our freedom. As Paul reminds us in 5.1, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free, so we stand firm and we aren't willing to submit again to a yoke of slavery. Move a little bit down to verses 3 and 4. Paul says that there are those who choose to live by the law instead of Christ. They choose, but if you do that, you choose to live by it instead of Christ. Okay. He says you've got to pick one or the other. And he's making the best case he can for why Christ is superior. Why you're more free when you live by the gospel. Um, Galatians 5, 7 to 15. Let's read a little further, shall we? He goes to them and he says, hey, you were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I'm trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. And God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. Verse 11, Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say I do, why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. All right? For you have been called to live in freedom. For you have been called to live in freedom. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always by devouring one another, beware of destroying one another. So he begins, you're running well, who hindered you? And then he answers it in verse 9. He says a little leaven, leaven's the whole bunch of dough. There's another, there's a doctor you may have heard of before, maybe not. If not, then you should know his name because we have a, we get to thank him a lot. His name is Ignaz Semmelweis. Raise your hand if you've heard of this guy. Anybody? Okay, just a few. Well, we're all sitting here because of this guy and the grace of God. A doctor he was at uh, Vienna General Hospital, uh, 1846 to 1849, he worked there. Uh, and they had, back in those days, a very, very high mortality rate when people gave birth in both the moms and the babies. 
And they couldn't figure out what it was. And at this one particular hospital, it was absolutely through the roof. And so they just began to focus very intently on what can we do to bring this mortality rate down. Well, so he was disturbed by this, and he eventually developed a theory of infection. And what he discovered was that the doctors who were handling the births at this hospital were the same doctors who were working on cadavers. And so they would do the thing with cadavers, and then they would go over and deliver babies. Yeah, exactly, right? Well, when he came up with it, they, they thought, you're crazy. Uh, what a quack. I mean, and so he developed, he's the modern father of germ theory, right? That's why you sneeze and you pass your cold to somebody else, now we know why. And so he developed this whole way that if you're going to work on cadavers before you can touch babies or deliver babies, you've got to go through this lengthy process in order to do it. And almost overnight, the mortality rate vanished. And everybody loved him so much that they fired him. And he died uh, in a mental institution, disgraced. Because he pointed out that the very people who were supposed to be helping people were making these people sick. Now who likes that? Who wants to have that kind of blood on their hands eventually to go, we've gone years with people dying because we were stupid. But Semmelweis' ideas that just all it takes is some germs on your hands and you can do a lot of damage. And it doesn't take a lot. A little airborne this or that or the other can really, really change somebody's life in a hurry. A little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. That's kind of what he's saying. He's saying you guys that are supposed to be helping these Christians grow up are not doing that. You are doing this and then you're over here fiddling with them and you're making them sick. You're making them sick. A little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. Legalists mean well. They mean well. They think they're working hard to save somebody's life, but they don't realize that they are instead spreading disease. Their leaven can leaven the whole batch of dough. Romans 14 talks about the weaker brother and trying to go with them. And I've got to tell you, I've heard that, that verse abused and misinterpreted my entire life. Some of you knew I grew up in a wonderful, uh, wonderful tribe, um, but it was one that, that definitely has struggled with legalism its entire existence. Um, and I guess I would, I would uh, give you this as an illustration. I remember getting a call, this is about a decade ago, uh, from a friend of mine who was at a church up in the Orange County area, and he was uh, talking about a spat that was going on inside the church. And there was a church that did not believe in instrumental music being allowed in the services. To the extent that a man had driven onto the parking lot with his window down with music playing in his car and pulled into his parking spot and was met by people in the parking lot telling him he had sinned by driving onto the parking lot with his radio playing. And so the entire church had, had erupted on this deal. Okay? Uh, and so everybody under the age of about 40 was getting ready to head for the exits. Uh, everybody over the age of 40 was, was ready to cut all the people under 40 out of their wills. I mean, it was, it was an absolute mess, okay? Um, and so I did some work with that church, but you should have heard the comments from people on both sides, really. 
Uh, one was a uh, kind of a condescending pride that they weren't as legalistic as, as some people were, kind of a snide, we know better, kind of uh, uh, youthful, uh, snotty legalism kind of thing that just simply says the only, the, only, uh, the only thing that's wrong is to call something wrong. It's just, it's just legalism. It's just uh, you got broader, your, your code is a lot longer. Um, in, in, in the other case, it was the older people just not being willing to listen at all. I mean, to, to whatever, because they knew better, and there was just pride everywhere in the, in the room. Well, my church just sold its building, they're done. Right? The lampstand got moved. And I think a piece of that is that there's got to be that point where Christians, if they don't do anything else, are supposed to be the ones who say, no, 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 no. God is not fundamentally a lawgiver. He's a liberator. He's a liberator, fundamentally, okay, that that's who he is. That God is a loving father, not an abusive father. That he's a liberator, not a slave master. And that's why theology matters, sisters and brothers. That's why we talk about it a lot in here. How we look at God, how we see God, because that shapes who we are and how we behave. How we treat one another. See, Paul isn't happy that this leaven, as he calls it, has made its way into the Galatian church. In 5.12, he goes as far as to say that he wants those Galatians who want everybody to be circumcised to castrate themselves. That's awkward. Now, why would he make such a strong point? What's he saying? Well... If you're, if you're doing Jewish verbal jousting, what he's trying to say, Leviticus 21.20 is probably what he has in mind. He's trying to say that a man in such a condition, that's what this verse says, can't enter the assembly of the Lord. So what he's saying is, I wish you guys would just get away from, from them. I wish you would be cut off from the Christians so that you would not be able to influence them. That's what he's saying. Verse 5.13, for those of us who are holding our breath, going, well, then everybody's going to go crazy. Everybody's just going to do whatever they want, Paul says. Your freedom is not an opportunity to sin. While some believe that freedom in Christ means the ability of, um, to do whatever one wants, Paul wants to begin to preach against that heresy. He wants us to begin to preach against that heresy and to do it with regularity. Sin hinders our freedom. It doesn't help it. And what the world calls freedom is really just another form of slavery. Goethe, the German poet and dramatist, said, none are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe they are free. That is the tale of the world we live in, sisters and brothers. Christian freedom offers life with God and all the riches of the kingdom of God. Let me ask you a question. I'm supposed to bring my car keys up here, but I've left them in the seat. Your car keys. Are they for security or are they for access? I heard both. Come on, don't be shy now. Hey, wake your neighbor up and get him to answer this question. <laughs> we, we, you got a, a keys. Access or security? Oh, both, both, both. Access. Okay. Well, I... The right answer is probably both, okay? It, it, it does do both, but it's primarily for one over the other. It's for access. 
How do I know that? Because later this afternoon, you might go shopping at the mall. And you might come back to your car and go, where are my keys? And you find out that they're locked inside your car. You don't go, yay! (laughs) Nobody can get in now. (laughs) That's not what you say. You go, oh no, what are we going to do? What am I going to do? Oh no, oh no, no. And you sit there and you go, and you have to call AAA or whatever. You don't rejoice that you locked your keys in your car. You need your keys to be able to access it, to be able to drive home. And so when God, and I'm going to skip over like 2,000 years of arguing in the church about what this passage means, but when God gives the keys of the kingdom to Peter, the access, they're meant to access the riches of the kingdom of God, not to keep people out, not to become the guardsmen. Now, he does say, whatever you bind will be bound, whatever you loose will be loosed. But the point, the clear trajectory of the New Testament is that, that we as the church are people who have the keys to the kingdom, which means we have access to the riches, the storehouse of God. And that through Christ, those keys can't be locked in the car, proverbially speaking. They can't be taken away. Okay, That God is fundamentally, and how you see Him, Okay, is He a God of access? Or is He somebody... The dead bolts the door with a little flap in there. You got to know the secret password. And you got to go over the bridge and through the dragon and fight off 25 troops worth of knights and, and get past the, the flying monkeys from the Wizard of Oz and everything else just to get into the kingdom. No, 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 no. See, this is what makes God so obscenely amazing. I mean, just, just breathtakingly amazing is that he kills all those things in advance. And he brings it to you and to me. And he gives us access. And he says, hey, come in. Come into my house. Now, we're the ones that then go, no, I'm going to leave the Father's house to go find my freedom. Only to find out that, guess what? Ain't no freedom out there. A lot of crazy stuff out there. Dressed in freedom's jersey. In a nice little costume to look like that. But we're not free at all out there. That freedom, safety, security, the ability to have fun, the ability to enjoy the riches of the kingdom happens inside the Father's house. And so this morning, Sister and brother, let me ask you. Has Jesus set you free? Freedom in Christ is not an opportunity to do evil. It brings life led by the Spirit. And as he's going to say in our text for next week, the rest of chapter 5. Listen, you got two ways of living. you got the flesh and you got the Spirit. The works of the flesh are these, and he rattles them off. Jealousy, envy, fits of rage... Etc., etc., etc. He goes, likewise, uh, the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self control. And against these, there is no law. So we then now walk by the Spirit. We were set free, and now the same God who sent Jesus into this world to save us from our sins sent his Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead 
into me. So I can walk around knowing that to live is Christ and to die is gain. I have nothing to fear. Throw me in jail, I'll sing you a song. I got nothing to fear. Just like Paul. So as we're heading our, charting our course toward uh, Christmas, couple, next time you lock your keys in your car, think of that. In fact, when you take your keys out of your pocket today, I have a car now that doesn't have power locks on it. So you actually have to take a key out and lock it yourself or it stays open. You know, you don't go boop and like your whole life locks in one click. But I want to be more mindful of this and go, when I take them out of my pocket, I want to go, access or security? And sometimes the security is provided by access. It's knowing what I'm accessing is safe. Because the father of the house makes sure we're all protected in here. So will you join me in that house? Would you be willing to grab those keys? Go in the house. So that you can be free. We can be free. This time we're going to gather around the Lord's table. The table of freedom. And those who are going to be passing the elements, go ahead and take their spots. We, we do this every week here at New Vintage Church. Uh, the bread and the cup, which represents the body and blood of Jesus. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Christ set us free. So when he came to this earth, he came so that we might be free. And we remember him now as we take the bread and the cup. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we love you. We worship you. We adore you. We thank you for being a God of freedom, for giving us access to your kingdom by the blood of your Son, Jesus. So we pray now, Father, as we take this, that you would keep us free from the law that would kill and give us instead, Father, the pure gospel that gives us life. The gospel that preaches that a God great enough to bring this world into being is also a God great enough to redeem the world he created and, he, and doing it through Jesus, Father, as we remember this time of year him breaking in to the world that you might be able to reconcile the world to yourself. We thank you for this, Father, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.